0: Gracious God, we thank you so much for bringing us together this morning and for the gift of your story. God, as we open our Bibles, give us ears to hear what you have for us. And God, I ask that you would take my words and use them for your glory. Amen. This morning, as my family and I were were driving to church together, uh, we realized this is the first Sunday in a long time we've actually driven together. And then it hit me. We forgot our soup we forgot our soup. So we stopped. I was remembering back to Cheryl's words last Sunday where she said, there's no excuses. I said, the pastor's going to not bring soup on Super Bowl Sunday. I've got to stop and get soup. So we stopped and got soup, which meant I was a little bit late, but that, that was fine. Uh, all that to be said, if, if, if you didn't bring cans today and you still want to bring cans, you can bring them tomorrow. They'll still get picked up. They'll still go to Manna. And actually, we collect them every Sunday, so you can bring them every Sunday. Uh, Manna's is an incredible, uh, incre- they do great work in our community with, with helping those who, who need food, who need food. And so I invite you to, um, if you forgot them, I'm not trying to make you feel guilty for not bringing them today, but you can bring them at any time. You're welcome to bring soup. There were, there were two separate weeks between the, the, my junior and senior year, my, my, my summer between my, my junior and senior year in high school, that altered the direction of my life forever. I guess you could say that, that each of these two weeks brought me th- th- a reality check of sorts. Now the first reality check came during a week at a recruiting camp for high school football players from all over Southern California. It was a camp for quarterbacks and wide receivers and, and, and tight ends, and I figured, hey, it's Super Bowl Sunday. I get to talk about my glory days from high school. Uh, so it was this camp for, for quarterbacks and wide receivers and tight ends, and you had to be invited to come, and, and it was, it was this, this skills camp where they would watch you, where different coaches would come and in, in, in watch you, and y- you'd show what you had, and they'd teach you some things, and, and it, was, it was a lot of fun. But the first day... The first day, any dream I had of playing Division I college football was crushed. I was a good four to five inches shorter than every other tight end, the position that I played in high school. I was probably 20 to 30 pounds lighter than every tight end. And let's just say that during the sprints, I wasn't in the fast group. The second reality check week came a few months later at the end of summer. I was invited by a mentor to to spend a a week as a leader at a middle school camp called Westminster Woods in, in Northern California. It was during that week I realized that if I was going to truly call myself a Christian, I had to do something with my faith. I had to act on my faith. I had to live out my faith if it was something that I actually really claimed to believe. Now, it wasn't at that moment or anything I knew that I'd be standing up on Sunday mornings and preaching. It wasn't like I got called to ministry right during that week. But it was this time where I said, huh, I've got to act on my faith. I have to do something with what I claim to believe. Now, a week or two later, we came home from the woods and I I found myself back on the high school football field. We were getting ready for the new season, I was a, a team captain, it was my senior year, everything should have been great, but there was something that just wasn't right. Something that just didn't, didn't sit right with me. You see, the person that I was on the football field didn't line up with my, my newfound conviction. And I remember three or four weeks into the season hearing the words that my mentor who invited me to go be a, a leader on the middle school camp was, was speaking on during that week. And those words were, if anyone's in Christ, he or she is a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. And I just kept hearing that over in every football practice. Every time I, I argued with a coach, every time I yelled at a, another player to, to play better, I heard... The old is gone, the new has come. You see, sometimes God speaks in a whisper. The world's swirling around in my head during those times. During those, those times my, my senior year of high school. And sometimes, God speaks through a yell. In a voice that we can't deny. Like when I was at that recruiting camp and fully understood I wasn't going to play Division One football. Our story this morning reminds us that whether it's through a whisper or or through a loud, booming voice, God goes to great lengths to remind us of His great love. God goes to great lengths to remind us of His great love. That that we are created by God, that we are loved by God, that we have a specific purpose. Throughout Scripture, people are are trying to figure out how to relate with God, how to, to live out their faith, how to worship how to live in a way that, that honors God, how to follow God's will and how to relate with the world in which they lived. And really those sorts of questions are the same sorts of questions that, that many of us find ourselves asking today about our, our own faith. How do we live out what we claim to believe in today's world? In the Gospels, when those questions are asked directly to Jesus, they're often connected to a desire for some sort of of sign, some sort of rational, visible expression to prove that God is who God is and and then there will be a belief. Now, Jesus typically looked at those requests, the, the requests of show us something, give us a sign, give us something tangible that we can hold on to. Let us hear that booming voice. And then we'll act. He he typically heard that and said, "Uh, believe first, and then you'll see. Believe first, and then then you'll get it. The desire that, that they had, that longing for evidence, is really embedded, I believe, in what it means to be human. I think it's something that we all search for. It's also what makes faith difficult. That desire was very much alive at the time of Jesus, at the time of the story that we're we're reading today, and it's very, very much alive today as well. So as we pick up in our story, Israel and Judah had split into different kingdoms, and as a result, there were competing belief systems that had kind of seeped into the lives of those who lived in the northern kingdom. And God sends messengers, nine messengers in total, messengers, prophets, To kind of give the people a course correction. To remind them that Yahweh is the one true God. In the story of the the first messenger, Elijah, where we're looking today, we we see God go to great lengths to remind God's people that they are loved. So Elijah first goes to the king of the northern kingdom and and says, Hey, a drought is coming. It's the passage that, that Samantha read earlier. Hey, a drought is coming. It's on the way. And that couldn't have made the king happy. Couldn't have made the king happy. And then he goes into the wilderness and he's fed by ravens, probably as a kid, my favorite part of scripture. What does that look like? Were the birds just flying in and dropping off food? How, what, how are you fed by ravens? So he's fed by ravens. And then at the start of, of 1 Kings 18, we read this. After many days, the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year of the drought, saying, Go present yourself to Ahab, I will send rain on the earth. So Elijah went to present himself to Ahab because the famine was severe in Samaria. When Ahab saw Elijah, Ahab said to him, Is it you, troubler of Israel? He answered, I have not troubled Israel. You have, in your father's house, because you have forsaken the commandments of the Lord and followed the Baals. Now, therefore, have all Israel assembled for me at Mount Carmel, with the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah. Those of you that are slow with math like me, that's 850 different prophets and priests from Baal and Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. So in the middle of the drought, Elijah goes to the king. After three years, he goes to the king Ahab and he says, your people have forgotten their identity. They have forgotten who they are. You've fallen away from your faith. You've led them into idolatry. Why don't you invite your friends, the the prophets and the priests of Baal, up to to Mount Carmel and and we'll settle this there. Ahab essentially blames Elijah for the drought, you troubler of Israel. It's his fault. It's his fault. And so Elijah says, oh, really? Really? Let's, let's go to the mountain and, and settle it. Now, I want to I kind of set the stage for what Mount Carmel looks like. It's, it's a really interesting place. Geographically, it's, it's always been important in the Middle East. Uh, then, and it still is today, it's, it's part of a, a mountain range that almost runs parallel to the Mediterranean Sea. It actually looks very similar to the mountains to our west. Am I going to point to our west if I actually point that way? To our west. Am I getting that right? Um, to our that way. Thanks, Aubrey. That way. To our to our west. It looks very similar to the mountain range to to our west that separate us from the ocean. Now, Israel's biggest port is on the northwestern side of, of Mount Carmel. The northwestern side. That's a, that's a picture looking toward the, the port. The port was a starting point for some of the biggest battles of the Crusades in the 11th and 12th centuries. Then it became this, this bit of a, a pirate town up through the 18th century, and, and then it was a hub for a huge battle between the British and Arab allies against the Ottoman Empire during World War I. So it's always kind of had this, this important place geographically in, in, in the Middle East, it really connects Israel to the rest of the Middle Eastern world, giving easy access to Lebanon and, and to Turkey. And on the eastern side of the mountain is the San Fernando Valley. <laughs> Just making sure you're paying attention. Not really the San Fernando Valley. The Jezreel Valley. The Jezreel Valley. But the topography, ta- tabocor- I'm saying that wrong. It, it looks eerily similar to where we live eerily similar to where we live this is a a picture uh the sea of galilee is to this way and the mountains are are the part that the mountain range that you see up in the top of the picture connected to mount carmel so eerily similar to the the space where, where we live in, in, in the valley and then the standoff it, it continues Ahab calls to the Israelites, and and they show up on a plateau on the eastern side of the mountain. And Elijah says, "How long will you go limping with two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow Him. But if Baal, then follow Him." The people did not answer him a word. Now Elijah kind of uses a, a play on words here. He asks, "How long will you limp?" with two options. There was a, a cultural dance connected to Baal at the time that involved kind of bending at your knees or, or, or squatting. So he's saying, how long are you going to keep dancing with Baal and pretend to worship Yahweh as well? How long are you going to choose both? It, it, it can't be both. Now, one of the, the ministries that Haley and I were involved with when we lived in Malawi involved going out into villages and, and showing the Jesus film which is essentially an older version of, of Luke's Gospel, an uh, old movie of, of Luke's Gospel, done with really bad, really poorly done cinematography, translated into, into local languages. The movie would be stopped right before Jesus' resurrection, and, and someone would stand up and they would, they would preach. And after a couple months... We'd be driving out on these buses into the middle of nowhere and about a half hour before we got to the place we were going to short the film, they'd say, Abusa Dave. Abusa means pastor. You're preaching today. And it'd be great. You're giving me a half hour to prepare. And so we'd drive out and I'd I'd preach. They'd stop the movie and I'd I'd, I'd preach. I'd talk about the resurrection, the hope that comes in the resurrection. And then after doing this a few times, I said, hold on a second. Hold on a second. I started preaching, and I'd ask the question, how many of you have seen this movie before? Everybody's hand shot up. E- everybody's hand. shot How many of you have seen this movie before? They came for the entertainment. They came. How, how many of you have seen this before? Their hands shot up. And, and then I said, and, and how many of you are living differently because of it? See, the reality is, in most of these villages, people would come to the Jesus film on Friday they'd go to the mosque on Saturday, and on Sunday they'd be at the witch doctor. They were covering all their bases. They are covering all their bases. It was the exact same thing that's happening here with, 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 with Elijah, with Ahab and Elijah. The ways that we bend to our culture might not be as blatant or as obvious today, but, but we need to be aware that the life God calls us to live doesn't always match up eye to eye with our current American values, or any time our American values, I should say. This part of the story really should be challenging to us. Continues, Then Elijah said to the people, I, even I only, am left a prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophet, number 450, let two bowls be given to us. Let them choose one bowl for themselves, cut it into pieces, and lay it on the wood, but put no fire to it. I will prepare the other bowl and lay it on the wood, but put no fire to it. Then you call on the name of your God, and I will call on the name of the Lord, and the God who answered by fire is indeed God. And all the people answered, well, well spoken. Yeah, let's do that. Super Bowl Sunday. Yeah, let's, let's do this. Then Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, Choose for yourselves one bowl. You get to choose your bowl first and prepare it. For you are many, then call on the name of your God, but put no fire to it. Now, when Elijah gives the conditions for this this contest, he he tips the scale toward the prophets of Baal. They get to choose the the bowl of their choice first. They can pray first and for as long as they want and in choosing fire as the sign of choice he's 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 bending to baal's supposed power baal was supposedly the god of the sun and so of course the prophets as they hear fire coming down they say yeah baal can do that you see that sun it's full of fire ba- baal can do that and so he's he's putting the ball in their court and saying you got the advantage you got the advantage let's go let's go so they took the bowl that was given them, prepared it, and called on the name of Baal from morning until noon, crying, O Baal, answer us. But there was no voice and no answer. They limped about the altar. Remember that dance? They limped about the altar that they had made. At noon, Elijah mocked them. This might be my favorite part of the passage. Saying, cry aloud. Surely he is God. Yeah, maybe he's meditating. Or he has wandered away or he's on a journey. But perhaps he's asleep and he needs to be awakened. Elisha talks trash really well, like an overconfident fan on Super Bowl Sunday. Where's your God? Is he asleep? Maybe he's out to lunch. Where is he? Then they cried aloud, and as their custom, they cut themselves with swords and lances until the blood gushed out over them. As midday passed, they raved on until the time of the offering of the oblation. But there was no voice, no answer, and no response. Then Elijah said to all the people, come closer to me. And all the people came closer to him. First he repaired the altar of the Lord that had been thrown down. Elijah took 12 stones according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord came, saying, Israel shall be your name. With the stones, he built an altar in the name of the Lord. Then he made a trench around the altar large enough to contain two measures of seed. He built a moat around it. Elijah reminds them of their identity. Israel shall be your name. Don't forget who you are. Don't forget that you are God's people. Don't forget it. Next, he put the wood in order, cut the bowl in pieces, and laid it on the wood. He said, fill four jars with the water and pour it on the burnt offerings and on the wood. Then he said, do it a second time, and they did it a second time. Again, he said, do it a third time, and they did it a third time, so that the water ran around the altar and filled the trench also with water. At the time of the offering of the oblation, the prophet Elijah came near and said, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel that I am your servant and that I have done all these things that you're bidding answer me o lord answer me so that this people so that this people may know that you o lord are god and that you have turned their hearts back then the fire of the lord fell and consumed the burnt offerings the woods and stones and the dust and even licked up the water that was in the trench When all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, The Lord indeed is God. The Lord indeed is God. The sign had come. The people are left standing in in wonder. And it's clear that when coming to setting allegiances, God doesn't want his people to be neutral. God doesn't want his people to be neutral. It was true for the people who gathered that evening on Mount Carmel and it's true for us today. I think one of the challenges for us in today's American culture is that we often see that that being neutral is is almost a virtue. We equate it to being open-minded or being calm. But God goes to great lengths to remind the people of Israel and really us that when it comes to who And what we worship, we can't be lukewarm. We can't serve two masters. Later in Elijah's story, God speaks to him through a a silent whisper in a different mountain. But on Mount Carmel, it's definitely a shout. He uses Elijah to wake up the Israelite people. And throughout, this continues, throughout the time of the prophets with Elisha and Hosea and the others, God alternates between these whispers and these shouts. And each time God reaches out, it's with the intent of reminding God's people that they are loved. That they have a purpose, that they have an identity that they need to live into. We're reminded of that reality again in the the New Testament. It's why Jesus was born, why he lived the way he did, why he died on the cross, and and why the resurrection is so important to what we believe. It's something that we cannot be neutral about. God goes to great lengths to remind us of that. A couple nights ago, it was Thursday night. I got a phone call from a good friend of mine when I was on my way home from church and the friend's name is Tom and he was, he was obviously shaken. Obviously shaken. He said, Dave, give me a reason to have hope. Give me a reason to have hope. Essentially, tell me that this is all worth it. Show me that, that what we claim to believe is actually true. Tom is uh, in his first year as a, a licensed therapist in Northern California, and he spends most of his time with kids who have suffered through some sort of abuse. And a lot of times, he has to stand as their only adult advocate in courts with social workers and lawyers and guardians. It's hard work. So when he calls, Dave, Dave show me a reason that, there's, that this is all worth it. Show me a reason that this is all worth it. Tell me how. And I listened to Tom, but, but I didn't really have a good answer. Then the next day, I was reminded of a truth that I cling to most of the times when I'm in a dark place myself. Apostle Paul writes, For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. There's nothing in this world or any other world that can separate us from the love of God. God goes to great lengths to remind us of that reality. So as we listen to God in the whispers, and as we hear God in the shouts, may we be reminded that we are loved, that we are God's children, and that we are called to worship God and God alone. Let's pray. Holy God, we thank you for loving us. Remind us that we can't be neutral with our allegiance. Remind us that we can't be neutral to whom we worship. You call us to worship you and you alone. Help us hear your whispers and to pay attention to your shouts. We pray these things in your name. Amen.